Now, didn't you love that video? That's the way life used to be. We were all together. We were singing together. We were praising God together. We were together in Bible study. And I'm going to tell you something. It's coming back. It's coming back. So I want to say to all of you that are watching online, we're so grateful that you are. We welcome you to this service. We want you to keep watching online, and we're so grateful you're a part of it. I want to say to all of our campuses that are in person today, yay God for you, thank you for being back and for worshiping together. We're social distanced and all that sort of thing, but even that's going to go away, and we're going to be social together one day, and we're looking forward to all of that, and it is our goal to get all of you back. Yes, it is. We're coming after you, and we know, we know it's going to be a while. We know that there are some that's going to be a while before they feel comfortable. We don't want you to come back until you feel comfortable, but we want you back as soon as you can. And we want to get on the other side of this pandemic. And we want to be back to where we are, who we are as Sugar Creek Baptist here. So welcome. This coming Friday, we're going to be having the Good Friday services on all of our campuses. And we're excited about it on Friday night. They're, they're going to be different depending upon the campus, but all of the campuses are going to be taking the Lord's Supper, having communion together, and that we'll be broadcasting from the Sugar Land campus. Come and be a part of the Good Friday service. Now, why is it called Good Friday? Because that was the day that Jesus was tortured and beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross and died on a cross for us, then why in the world do we call it Good Friday? I mean, we should call it Terrible Friday. Why do we call it Good Friday? Because it is the only hope of salvation that we have. It was there that he took the beating for us. By his stripes, we are healed. It is that crucifixion on the cross in which he took all of our sins and they were laid on him and he died for our sins. And three days later, he rose again and he offers us the gift of eternal life. That was the greatest Friday of all Fridays because on that day, he died in our place and then rose again. We call it Good Friday because it was, it was, it is the only hope of our salvation. Now, the night before he was crucified on that Friday, he gathered all of his disciples together there in what was called the upper room. And there they took of the Passover together. But there's a little part ceremony that is before the actual meal of the Passover that is called the Seder, S-E-D-E-R. And it was during that period of time, that little part before they actually began to eat the Passover meal, that Jesus changed everything. And we now know it as the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, communion. And that is what we reenact oftentimes in our services, the time of taking the Lord's Supper. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about a story that happens just before the taking of the Passover. That happened just before they walked into the upper room. I want to talk to you about this story. Two of Jesus's disciples, John and James, got their mother to go privately to Jesus. 
and she went to Jesus and said to Jesus, now when you get into your kingdom, would you let my two boys, John and James, have the most prominent places of power, one sitting on the left hand of your throne and one on the right hand? The audacity of this. Can you believe what they did? Can you believe what she did on their behalf? And to top it all off, just a few minutes before that, Jesus had said to all of his disciples, by the way, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over to the authorities. I'm going to be crucified and beaten. I'm going to give my life as an offering for you. And then I'm going to rise again from the grave. And it is though John and James are saying, okay, I don't get this whole crucified thing. I hope that all works out. But when you get in to your kingdom, we want to have the most powerful places. It was all about power. And when the other disciples heard about it, they were infuriated, as you can imagine. Oh, man, they were talking it. They were so mad. They were mad at James and John. They were mad at each other because the truth is all of them wished they'd have done the same thing. All of them were just about power. If Jesus came to the United States today, oh, I wish he did, in the flesh and had a news conference, the first question or the second, it's got to be one of, one of the other, would be asking him to say, now which side are you on? The left side or the right side? Everybody be asking the question. The left side or the right side? And Jesus would say neither. You see, both sides believe we got God on our side. Too bad for those other people. They're not getting it right. But both sides only point to a handful of things and forget the other stuff. Which side are you on? And Jesus would say, neither. I didn't come here to take sides. I came here to take over. And the question is, are you going to follow me? When Jesus Christ does come and sets up his rule and reign on this earth, I'm going to tell you, it'll be shock and awe. Get ready. It'll be shock and awe. And may he come today, Lord Jesus. The Sunday after Easter, I'm going to begin a series on the second coming of Jesus Christ entitled The Beginning of the End. And we're going to talk about what is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back. Jesus had in first century just a handful of believers, just a handful of men and women who trusted him. They had no political power. They had no financial power power. They had no influence whatsoever, but Jesus gathered them and he said to them, I want you to change the world with one power, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to change the world. It was the most ridiculous statement anybody could ever make, the most silly thing in the world. Here they were in, in the biggest, the most powerful empire in the Western Hemisphere in the history of mankind, the, the Roman Empire, and there was no way in thunder they would ever be able to change the world. 
But within a short period of time, relatively speaking, they had toppled that empire with one power, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of the love of God toward them and the lo their love toward God and their love toward each other and their love toward others. And it was love wins. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ turned totally around the Roman Empire. Love wins. This is exactly what I am hearing happening today in the country of Iran, of all places. For the last 10 years or so, I have been reading all of these stories about what God is doing in Muslim countries and bringing people to Christ. They're having dreams. There is Jesus in the dream. I am the one that I want you, you to worship. I am, the, I am the messenger from God, and they turn their heart to Jesus Christ, and it is amazing. These Muslim men who come, and women who come to faith in Christ, then give up their life in sharing the gospel wherever they are. And they're turning many to Jesus. And it's exactly what is going on in the country of Iran. And I've been hearing these stories for the last 10 years. It's amazing. One, one, once you get out of this service, please don't do it while I'm preaching. I've got some things I want to say to you. But when you get out of this service, I have given you a website to go to. And I hope you do. I hope you'll watch that video and hear what is going on. There are people today that, is calling, that are calling this, that's what is happening in Iran, either the one of the greatest or the greatest Christian movements anywhere in the world. And what's taking place for the last 40 years? They have been under the iron fist of the Alatola and they have had the crushing uh, the crushing of their culture over the last 40 years in the name of Islam. And they have come to the place that they are saying, I am sick of it. I am tired of it. I'm tired of the hatred. I'm tired of the retaliation. I'm high, tired of the murdering and the killing. And I just want peace. I want something that gives me purpose in life. And there are thousands of Muslims that are now turning to atheism and saying, I don't find it anywhere. But there are tens of thousands of Iranians who are turning to faith in Jesus Christ. And there are now hundreds of thousands in Iran who have come and given their heart to Jesus Christ and they're suffering for it. And the more they suffer, the greater the movement grows. It's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus in this story is trying to bring his disciples together and not just bring them together, but to show them how it is that I want you to live. And it is that only a handful of believers started, but is now turned into two or three billion people across the globe who, who accept the name of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. It's because of the power of the gospel. So what happens in this story? The primary goal of Jesus is to bring these disciples who are at each other's throat, walking into the upper room, and to show them not just how to handle this moment, but for the rest of their life and the power of God. So notice what, he, what, he, what happens in John chapter 13 and beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. 
Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The greatest demonstration of his love heretofore he shows them at this moment. The evening meal was beginning to be served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. The first principle that I want you to notice in this passage is simply this, authentic Christianity that brings people together is willing to humble themselves, to humble itself to others. So notice what happens. Key in on verse three, Jesus was fully aware of who he is. He knew he was God in flesh. He knew he had come to be the savior of the world. He knew he was the one that created the universe. John chapter one, Colossians chapter two, Revelation chapter one. He knew who he was. Second of all, he knew that God the Father had already put everything under his authority and he was soon to be going back to return to his throne in heaven. Third of all, he knew Judas would betray him, Peter would deny him, and Thomas would doubt him. He knew what was coming. He knew what was about to be unfolded. And with all of that understanding, verse four, Jesus took off his old outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a bowl and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. As soon as he began to wash his disciples' feet, his disciples reacted with total horror. I cannot believe he's doing this. He should never do this. What is Jesus doing? You see, the washing of feet was of great symbolism in this kind of moment. Everyone at the end of the day, they would wash their feet, needed to wash their feet at the end of the day. But when they were in some public in a moment like this, some special moment like this gathering for the Passover, the person that would wash the feet in this formal kind of setting would have been the person who was on the lower end of the totem pole, maybe at the very lowest. It was a person who had no status, a person who, who had no power, and that is the person that would come and wash the feet of everybody else in the room. And boy, they needed their feet washed. You see, people in the first century had shoes, but we really wouldn't call them shoes. They had what we would call sandals today, but they don't look like any of our sandals. It's just a, a small, thin piece of wood or a thick piece of leather that would be on the bottom. And then they would find a way to sew now a leather strap from it and go around the ankle, and that's how they kept their shoe on. That was their shoe. It was like a sandal. You walk around and you're in dirt all the time and you get your feet dirty. But they would also walk through cow manure. That doesn't sound that great in sandals. Our, our sheep manure, or even human manure. And when it would rain and it would mix and, and they would walk right through it. And by the time they got to the end of the day, man, their feet were dirty and their feet stunk. And they needed somebody to wash their feet, especially in this formal setting 
like they're in. And one of the disciples should have gotten up and should have washed everybody else's feet, but he didn't dare do so because if he got up and started washing other people's feet, well, that would be an admission that he is the lowest guy. He has no status. He has no power. He has no standing with anybody else. I dare not do it. I will not do it. And so Jesus stood and he began to wash the disciples' feet. They were horrified. They were shocked. But what Jesus was teaching them was this, that the closer you get to the throne of God, the less you care about your status with others. The closer you get to the throne of God, the less you care about your power, the less you care about your standing with others. He was teaching them this truth. Authentic Christianity that brings people together is willing to humble, to humble itself. Second of all, he was teaching them that authentic love that brings people together is willing to love the unlovely. Two of the feet that's in front of him that he's about to wash belong to Peter, who is about to deny that he even knows who Jesus is. Now, in that moment around this, this Passover celebration, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Peter, are you going to stand for me? And Peter said, I don't, I don't care what you face. I'll be right there with you. I will stand with you. I'll go to prison with you. I will go to my death with you. And he said it so loud and with such a bragging because he wanted to show everybody else how strong and powerful he was and how loyal to Jesus. But within a matter of a few hours, he denied that he even knew who Jesus was three times and Jesus even told him he was going to do it. And Jesus, knowing this, washes Peter's feet and he comes to the feet of Thomas who after Jesus has risen from the dead and, and he, he, he appears to all the disciples except for Thomas and, and Thomas isn't there, but when they tell him, Thomas, the Lord has arisen, Thomas said, I'm not gonna believe that. I saw him die, I know he's dead and I will not believe he's alive unless I can put my finger in the nail hole, in his feet, in his hands, or put my hand in his side where the spear went in. I don't believe. And Jesus knew he would say that. And he's washing Thomas's feet. And there is James and there is John and all they care about is power. And there is Judas. See verse two, the evening meal was served and the, and the devil was, had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And the two of feet that he washed were the feet of Judas. Judas had the 30 pieces of silver. He'd already sold Jesus out and he had the money that he had gotten, the 30 pieces of silver in his pocket as Jesus was washing his feet. And Jesus already knew it. And he is washing the feet of Judas. Lovingly, carefully washing his feet. Has there ever been somebody 
who told you how much they cared about you and how much they were supportive of you and loved you and then put a knife in your back? You say, yeah, I'll wash their feet. Give me some scalding hot water. I'm going to show them how feet washing ought to be done. You bet I'll do it. Sometimes unlovely people are unlovely because they've been through things we don't understand, we haven't seen, and now they, they've turned sour in their life. And, and sometimes unlovely people are unlovely because of what they've been through. And it's amazing what a little bit of love would do in their life. There's a young boy and his dad who walked into a pet shop and there was a dog, there was a little puppy dog this little boy really wanted. They'd been there several times, seen that little puppy dog and he decided, I gotta have that puppy. And so his dad said, I'll let you buy the puppy, but you gotta earn all the money through doing chores. And the boy did all the chores and now he had the money and it was time to go into the pet shop and buy that dog. And so he walked in, said to the manager, I want that little puppy right there. And the manager said, oh, no, 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 you don't want that puppy. That puppy's crippled. You, we're going to have to put that puppy to sleep in a few days. You don't want that. Here, come over here. Let me show you some other puppies. The little boy said, no, you don't understand. I want that puppy. No, son, you can't. You don't want that puppy. That puppy is crippled. And then that little boy lifted up his pants legs. He had had both of his legs amputated and prosthesis, prosthesis there. And, that, and then the little boy turned to the manager and said, it is amazing what a little bit of love will do. There's some people that we know, some people who are so unlovely, they're so mean. And the truth is that's what's going on in them. What Jesus is showing us is this, authentic love that builds unity is willing to love the unlovely, the grumpy, the grouchy, the complaining, But it'd be amazing what a little bit of love would do in that person's life. There's a third principle that he's teaching us in the passage, and it's this authentic love that brings people together, delays personal needs to meet the needs of others. Jesus expressed his love by meeting their need in a time when his own need was greater Yes, every one of these disciples, all of them in the room, needed their feet washed. Their, their feet were dirty. They were, they were stinky, and they, they needed their feet to be washed. But the person that needed his feet washed more than any of them was Jesus. He already knew what was coming. He knew that not one of them would stand with him, that they would all leave him forsake him. He knew that was going to happen. He knew that he was going to be brought in front of the Sanhedrin and he was going to go through all of these fake trials and they were going to bring lying witnesses and they were going to misuse justice in him and they were going to sentence him to death and he knew he would have the crown of thorns put on his head. He knew they were going to whip him and beat him. He knew he was going to be nailed to the cross. He knew what was coming and he knew that a time would come, a moment would come in which all of a sudden all of our sins would be placed on the back of Jesus Christ and his heavenly father would turn his back 
would turn his back from his son. And it's at that moment Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because a holy God, when our sins were put on him, could not look at sin. And Jesus became sin. He became sin for us. And Jesus knew every one of these moments, all these things were going to happen. He knew what was coming. He came to do this. And that is why just a few minutes after this moment, Jesus was there in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying with such agony that he had sweat drops of blood coming out of his forehead out because of the agony he was going through. He knew what was going to happen. And if there was anybody that needed his feet washed, it was Jesus. There's a principle that he is teaching us in this passage of scripture. If you need your feet washed, wash somebody else's. If you need to be blessed, first become a blessing to someone else. I don't want to wash somebody else's feet. I need somebody washing mine. I'm the one going through the hurt. I'm the one that has experienced the heartache and the difficulty. I can't worry about somebody else. Somebody else, you come and wash my feet. But Jesus taught us in Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given back to you, good measure, pressed together, shaken together, shall they give to your lap. And with what measure you measure out to others shall be measured back to you again. He's not just talking about giving money. He's not talking about just finances. He is saying, if you need a friend, become a friend. First, become a friend, and God will meet your need. Find somebody that is in desperate need of a friend and be friendly that, to that person. If you need others to care for you, then look around for people that are also in need of being cared for, and you care for them first, and God will meet your need. If you're tired and discouraged, then find somebody else who is tired and discouraged and reach out and meet their need. Put your needs second and God will make sure your need gets met. Part of this whole aspect of love is humbling ourselves. It's thinking of others and not just ourselves. And Jesus is demonstrating all these things to these disciples, this is what love is. It's not power, it's not status. It's yielding ourselves to others. And then notice the last principle that Jesus gives us in the passage. Jesus commanded his disciples then to do the same for each other. John 13, verse 12. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. When I was in college, I don't remember whether it was the last semester of my freshman year or the first semester of my sophomore year, but the guy, one of the guys that was on, on my, down my hall in the dorm, um, was a friend named Jerry and he came and, and knocked on uh, my door and I was, I was in the room and he came and knocked on the door 
And he said to me, Mark, I, 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 I'm in a Bible study and we're, we're talking about washing other people's feet. And I got an assignment. I got to wash somebody's feet. And I, I, I got to get to the Bible study and I got to get this assignment filled. So you're the guy and I got to wash your feet. And I said, I don't want you washing my feet, Jerry. No, I don't want to do that. He said, no, you got to do this. You got to, I've got to wash somebody's feet. Please let me wash your feet. Oh man, I did not want to do that. But I sat down on the chair and I watched him. He, he, he undid my shoes and he took my socks off and he had this bowl and he started washing my feet. And I got to tell you something, the longer I sat there and watched him do it, I was pretty amazed by it. I was pretty amazed about the humility of it, of washing my feet. And the longer I sat there and I watched him do it, I thought to myself, well, I'm just as humble as he is, and I'm proud of it. <laughs> and so when he finished, I said to him, now I'm going to wash your feet. He said, no, no, that's not part of it. That's not. I said, oh, no, I am going to wash your feet. I'm, I'm just as humble as you are, and I'm going to prove this. So you get down here and you sit on this chair, and I'm going to wash your feet. So we changed places. And I talked, took off his shoe, and I thought to myself, oh, my soul, what have I done? <laughs> I have never smelt feet as bad as these feet. They were just terrible. I, I thought to myself, do you never take a shower? What has happened here? I had no idea. They stunk, and I couldn't believe it and I thought I can't get out of it now man I'm or, I'm humble remember how humble I am and I I got to take off both shoes and it was just seriously it just about knocked me out and then I started taking those old dirty socks off and there were the hairiest feet I'd ever seen in my life and I thought to myself I don't have hair on my feet I got a little wood bees on the top of my foot, but it ain't much. He had hair literally all over his foot. I just wondered how in the world could that be? Who has hair? Who has that much hair? And he, here's his hairy foot that was two feet so stinky. I hurried up as fast as I could, washed them, got the towel out, dried them, and started putting those socks back on. I'm going to tell you, those socks were flat dirty. When do you change your socks? I was so glad to be done with that exercise. Get out of my, go to your Bible study. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get over what just happened to my life. I realized how hard this is. But what I also realized is you don't need water to wash people's feet. You, you, you don't need a towel to wash people's feet. There are people around us who have dragging feet and they're just worn out and tired and they're just spent and they're just struggling and hurting. They just can't, it's just a relentless cycle in their life and they just need somebody that will say, I, I'm here for you. I've got dragging feet that need to feet wash. I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about with love. Dragging feet. There's some people with dirty feet and they just need somebody to love them. They've screwed up. They've made one bad decision after another. They've got dirty feet, and they don't need somebody telling them how dirty their feet are and telling them how bad they are. They need someone to say, put their arms around them and say, I love you no matter what. No matter what, I love you, and I will never stop loving you. 
And I'm not condoning what has happened, but I am saying I love you. And I'm never going to stop loving you. There are people with dirty feet that need to be loved. And there are people with beautiful feet that need to be loved. The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of those who teach us the word of God. And you've got connect group leaders who study week after week after week. This isn't their job. They they, they do other things, but now they're studying for you and giving time because they're wanting to teach you God's word. And how long has it been since you said to them, I want to thank you for adding to my life, for blessing my life, for working so hard to bless me. Beautiful feet. There are people that are beautiful feet in the worship team who are teaching you the word of God through song and people that are showing you the word of God by how they live their life and act around you. Beautiful feet. How long has it been since you washed their feet? There are people who have feet that are in need and need help that are hurting. There are hurting feet. There are parents and children and husbands and wives and you need to they they have feet that you need to say I love you I love you there are people all around us that need their feet to be washed I'm here for you I care for you I, I admire you I appreciate you I love you Here, let me carry some of the load that you're carrying. Learning how to wash feet is one of the most important things that a church could ever do. It's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. It's one of the most important things you'll ever be able to do for each other is to wash each other's feet. I was asked by a church to come and and teach and for a week and at their church and and as I was sort of putting together God show me what you want me to teach and and I couldn't get past this this conviction in my heart that God wanted me to teach about feet washing to that church who didn't doesn't even know me and has no context of me and wanted that to be the first message and wanted me to teach that and I thought to myself good grief they don't know who I am Uh, this is the the first context they'll ever have of me that they're never going to come back after I get through what is wrong with this guy and I but I couldn't get couldn't shake it I couldn't shake it I have to teach this message about washing feet from John chapter 13 and so I did. That first night, I, I still was conflicted. When I got up to teach, I was still felt conflicted. This is, my brain said this is not the right direction. My heart said this is where God is leading. And I taught that passage of Scripture about what God said about us caring for each other and forgiving each other and washing each other's feet and being there for each other. And then I had an invitation for people to come. And I'm telling you, it's like the whole church came down. There were so many people that came down to the front. There's no more room. And then all up the aisles and there was no more room. And they got out of their pews and just knelt there in, in the middle of the aisle. And I could already believe what was going on. And God just came in and swept in. And people began to get up then and go and hug each other. I'm so sorry for how I've treated you. I'm so sorry that I've been mean. I'm so sorry for for pushing you away. And people began to come together and ask for forgiveness of each other and ask God to forgive them. And, And something began to happen in that church. 
And all they were doing was learning the power of the gospel. The power of loving God and God loving us and us loving each other and loving others we don't even know. Because in the end, love wins. And coming to understand it isn't power. It isn't getting power. It's bringing in the love of God into your heart and treating other people with that same kind of love and learning how to love, to, to, that love shows itself by washing each other's feet. Yeah, but I need my feet washed. When I wash my feet, then I'll wash somebody else's. No, you didn't get the story. Jesus said, before you get your need met, you go and meet somebody else's need. But I don't want to do it because it would have to humble myself too much. But that's the story. And what happens to us as a church when we begin to believe our own gospel of God's love for us and our love for him and our love for each other because of his love for us and our forgiveness of others because of his forgiveness for us. When we begin to believe our own gospel that it is the power of God unto salvation, when we begin to believe it and live it, we will change this country just like these disciples changed the greatest empire that had ever existed before with the love of the gospel, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm asking you today, would you give your heart to Jesus Christ? Would you give your heart to him and say, I, I am committing myself to you and invite Jesus Christ into your heart. And if you already know him, would you give your heart to Jesus Christ and say, I already know you, but now I'm going to yield myself to you and I'm going to behave the way you've taught me to behave. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would move in hearts today. You would change lives today, that you would open hearts today to say, oh God, I need you. I want you. I want my life changed. And I pray, oh God, move in hearts today. to stop hating and stop paying back and stop trying to get the power and yield ourselves to you and to humble ourselves and wash each other's feet. Move in hearts today to receive Jesus as Savior. Move in hearts today to join this church. Move in hearts today to yield themselves to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.